I want to talk to you tonight uh, about the book of James. So if you would, go ahead and open your book, uh, your Bible, to the book of James. Allison and I are about four months into this thing you guys call parenthood, and it's been interesting so far. I won't lie. It's been the most amazing journey, filled with lots of highs and uh, lots of challenges, too. And one of my favorite things about parenthood so far has been the fact that every single day I get to see something new that Reed is doing. You know, it started out, uh, he could track with his eyes, you know, back and forth. And that was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Um, I've seen some big football games and some cool things in my life, but that was like the coolest thing. He's tracking my finger, and it's amazing what gets us excited. Uh, Then he started to hold his head up by himself, and that was super cool. And I would look at him and just kind of hold him like, wow, that is so neat, man, that you can do that. Um, Like I've never seen anyone do that before. Um, Now he's in the process of learning to roll over. Uh, He he rolled over from his uh, belly to his back, several months ago, but uh, back to belly has been a challenge. That right arm kind of gets in the way, but watching him turn and reach for something is like the coolest thing ever. Uh, But if you know me a little bit, I love to play. And just this past week, Reed has started to learn to play with his toys. And I'm telling you, since the first breath he took, I have been looking forward to that because I'm excited to play with toys. And we've got this little play mat where toys hang and dangle, and he can kind of bat them now, and uh, it's so cool. One of the things he was doing not too long ago is he would look at his feet, he found those, by the way, and uh, he would focus very intently to raise them up where he could grab them with his hands and put them in his mouth. (laughs) And that's really cool. Uh, But I I thought, you know, Sometimes I wish I could just put my foot in my mouth. Do you ever think that? No, not like Reed does, but like, you know, wish I could go back and not say what I just said. You ever been there? I'm sure you have. I've been there too many times. It wasn't too long ago I was at a business and I was talking to the guy who owns the business and we were having a conversation and talking about what it takes to run the business and uh, we eventually started talking about church and where he went to church and things like that. And uh, a lady walked by and she clearly, I was taking some context clues, she helped him run the business. And he said, yeah, sometimes I go to church with her. And I said, oh, is that your mom? And he said, it's my wife. Man, he said, but I won't tell her you said that. Thank, thank goodness. Now, if I stood up here all day and told you stories of times I wish I hadn't said something, I'd be up here a long time. Allison can tell you, I get, I, when you talk a lot like I do, uh, you say a lot of things that you wish you could backtrack on a little bit, and uh, that was one of mine. And, you know, that's why the book of James really kind of jumps out at me. Uh, and I think it jumps out at a lot of people, because James is so practical, and it's always something that, that I feel like I can apply. And... Even though uh, the tongue is so small, as I was telling that story, I'm sure every person in this room, except maybe Reed, uh, was thinking of a time when you did the same exact thing, where you said something that was just extremely embarrassing, 
either to you or your spouse or your children, and you wish you hadn't said it. Uh, But the tongue can start wars and end them. Uh, The tongue can create stress and relieve it. Uh, The tongue can express love and and take it back. Uh, The tongue can create and build up a friendship while also tearing it down. We can praise and worship God with our tongues and then curse God and deny His existence as well. It's so true what Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Think about that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now the tongue has a huge spectrum of potential. Huge spectrum. You can do a lot of things with your words. Uh, Of course, the problem is not the tongue itself, but the control of the tongue that we often lose. Uh, We lose that control of the tongue. One writer labels the undisciplined talker as a harm. A hit and run mouth. (laughs) I thought that was interesting. A hit and run mouth. And he writes this. A person who, for whatever reason, feels compelled to tell you just what he thinks of you and your actions, regardless of how well he knows you, His desire is to be heard without hearing, to be known without knowing. He doesn't care about getting his facts straight. What he wants is attention. So when we start talking about the tongue in just a minute, I just want you to realize that this is a problem that everyone has to an extent. And when you go through God's Word, you find a lot of characters. And if I asked you to talk about this, I think all of you would come up with some some that I didn't even think of. The Bible's full of characters that should have put their foot in their mouth at times. Uh, You think about Moses. Uh, If you went to Psalms 106, uh, verses 32 and 33, it states that they angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses on account of them, because they rebelled against his spirit, so that he spoke rashly with his lips. Moses struggled with his lips. Isaiah wrote of himself, it says, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah said that. Peter, of course, struggled. I I really relate to Peter, because it seems like every time we read about Peter, he's really excited about something, almost too excited that he often finds himself needing to put his foot in his mouth. Uh, Peter, on the same day... uh, said to Jesus that if he had to die with Jesus, he would, he would go with him to death. And then the same night denied that he knew him and cursed on that very same night. The tongue is a hot topic because it affects every single person in this room. The tongue uh, is something that we all need to exercise, especially when it comes to learning how to control it. And this explains why if you open the book of James, Every single chapter has a verse at some point in its chapter about the tongue and about our speech and about our words. James thought the tongue was really important. And uh, I want you to look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3, of course I just said every chapter of James has something about the tongue or or speech or words. But James chapter 3 has an extended section about the tongue. Pretty much the whole chapter is about the tongue and how we use our words. And I want to look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You know, for those of us who teach, especially teach God's Word, when you read this, you kind of 
cringe a little bit. Because it says that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now James starts at the top of the Jewish hierarchy. If you notice that, teachers were very highly looked upon. And James starts right out with teachers. Uh, he starts this extended section with them that it's not just something that's at the bottom of the hierarchy, that controlling the tongue is a problem at the top of the hierarchy, all the way down. It's a problem with everyone. Uh, you may remember when Jesus was speaking of little children and said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if he uh, tie a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. That's in Matthew 18. So Jesus himself was what they call a rabbi, which what does rabbi mean? Teacher, right? So Jesus himself was a teacher and he speaks up uh, uh, talking about these children. If anyone leads these children astray who love me, pretty much it would be better for him to drown. Because he understood the influence of words. And he understood the influence of a teacher. Uh, With words, a person has the opportunity to influence many, many people. Look at verse 2. Chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Also, able to bridle his whole body. Jesus reminds us here, um, James reminds us here, just how difficult it is to control the tongue. If one were able to control the tongue, he would be able to control his entire body. Uh, or, and it says there, he would be a perfect man. Now we all know that there's only been one perfect man in history, that's Jesus. So that means every other person that's ever lived has failed at controlling the tongue, unfortunately. For all of us. Uh, So it's basically impossible to fully control the tongue. And over the next several verses, James uses some illustrations. And that's another reason I think we love James. Because James likes to use illustrations. And when you read them, they kind of, you know, match with something we can understand a little bit better. uh, Different than some of the other books of the Bible where you're scratching your head trying to figure out, okay, what exactly does that mean? where James uses a common illustration that all of us can understand. And he does that over the next several verses. Uh, So James is going to use two things that people commonly guided uh, for transportation in their day. So look at verse 3. You'll see the first one. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So he starts out talking about the horse. Without direction... A horse provides no useful purpose to people, right? If it's just a wild horse, it doesn't typically provide much use for us. Now, a horse that is under control provides lots of use. But a person who has no control of their tongue is also no use to God. Did you get that? A person who has no use who no control over their tongue is just like a horse that is no use to someone. Because if we can't control our tongue, God cannot adequately use us to impact His people, to bring people into the church, to tell people about the Gospel. If we can't control our tongues, then 
we're useless in a lot of ways. When you think about putting a bit in the horse's mouth, it's not only about restraint, though. You know, we think a lot of times about having control and being restrained, but it's not just about restraining the horse. It's also about being able to use the horse for something positive. And when we talk about controlling the tongue, it's not just about restraining you to keep you from saying things that you wish you, uh, wish you could. It's about also being able to control a very powerful instrument in your body so that God can use you for positive things. Not just negative, like your tongue can be sometimes. So when you think about putting a bit in your mouth or controlling your tongue, don't think of it as just a negative thing that is restraining you. Also think about it as something that allows God to use you in a more powerful way in your life. And look at James 3, verse 4. He goes to another example. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now the people of this day would have understood massive ships. Now a lot of times we think of their ships, we think of like a small little ship. I know I do. When I think about Jesus going to call his disciples and they're out fishing, I think of like a a little small wooden boat. Uh, But when you look at Acts chapter 27, verse 37, Paul is out on a boat. And he says that there were 276 passengers. That's a lot of people. That's a big boat. So when James starts talking about a boat or a ship, you know, they're talking about a big boat here, not just a small little fishing boat uh, like I often think. Have you ever stood next to a very large boat? I'm sure you have. A lot of you have. A cruise ship or some sort of battleship and just looked up at it and just thought, man, how... Can a person control that thing? How can any human be in control of this massive ship? I think about that often when I'm beside a ship. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you've heard of the German battleship, the Bismarck. Some of you have heard of that battleship. Uh, known as the unsinkable ship, in May of 1941, this ship was spotted in the North Atlantic, and planes and ships from the British Navy were all over it. Uh, The Bismarck tried to speed toward the German-controlled French coast where it would be safe, but it suddenly started swinging around and re-entered the area where the British ships were. And uh, they were able to have success taking over it. And about this time, it started to zigzag, and those planes and ships were able to catch up with it and overtake it. Come to find out, a torpedo had damaged the ship's rudder. Okay? And when that happened, the unsinkable ship became very sinkable. It sunk. So when you think about your own life and your tongue and the control you have over your tongue, just as it talks about this ship and the damage to a rudder would cause it to sink or be sinkable, uncontrollable, think about your life. When you lose control of your tongue or your tongue is damaged or maybe your heart is damaged and you lose control of your tongue, you become sinkable. You can be damaged easily by life. Now what's interesting to me is in each of these examples, the results are very tragic. Did you notice that? 
very tragic. Uh, losing control of a horse or losing control of this, uh, this boat. Now look at verses 5 and 6. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So he compares the loss of, of control of the tongue to a gigantic fire that breaks out by just a small spark. Now maybe you remember, we're coming up on the three-year anniversary of a pretty massive fire that's, that was close to home uh, over in Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge area. Uh, the Smoky Mountain fires of 2016. I remember hearing about that and watching in terror. Uh, maybe you remember seeing those videos of people driving away from their cabins trying to get free or trying to be safe and having to drive through what looked terrible situations. Uh, I remember that. And I remember watching that. Uh, many of us remember that. Uh, it went on to destroy more than 17,000 acres. Over 2,000 buildings were damaged or destroyed. 14 people killed and over 190 people uh, injured. That was a terrible fire that was started. What they believe, they, they believe some of it was from an arsonist. Uh, but they, they believe a lot of it was from sparks that were blown by the wind, high winds, into dry areas, which sparked this large fire. All these tragedies he mentions reminds us of what happens when we lose control of our tongue. Look at verses 7 through 9. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Listen to what he says. The tongue is full of deadly poison. With it we bless God, but curse people who are made in His likeness. Look at verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Um, it's time we start thinking about how what we say affects people. It's time for that. Maybe too, too late for some to think about that. Maybe you've said some things or uh, come across someone and said something that really cut them to the heart. But it's time that before we talk with people, that we think about the words that we're about to say and how it's going to affect that person. Last weekend, we took the youth group to uh, a, an event at Freed Hardeman University. It's where Joseph and I both went to college and Lauren and Allison and others who are in here. Uh, over to West Tennessee in Henderson, close, closer to Jackson area. And at Rush, they basically, it's about 1,500 youth group age students, so middle and high school students come to Freed Hardeman. And they get to see the campus but it's also a youth rally where through the day we're going to classes and we're visiting with people and uh, we get to go and, and sit and listen to teachers at Freed Hardeman teach God's Word and that's always a lot of fun. And this year they had a, uh, a youth ministry leader tract where you could go and sit uh, and listen to something that's relevant for youth leaders uh, and that was really cool. And at this event... 
uh, they had a group called the Protectors. Now, the Protectors were there to, to talk to our students and leaders alike. Uh, the Protectors are an anti-bullying group. That is a little different than a traditional anti-bullying group in that they don't necessarily seek to change the bully, but instead seek to focus primarily upon the potential strength. Uh, this is from their website. If you want to go to theprotectors.org, you'll see some of the same language. Uh, they seek to uh, focus primarily upon the potential strength, heroic desire, and rescuing capacity of bystanders, which is those who are standing nearby, transforming them into what they call alongside standards, not just bystanders. Uh, it says we also provide assertiveness training for targets. That's what they call people who are targets of bullying. They call them targets. Uh, they provide this assertiveness training for targets and help authority figures dispel uh, the many damaging myths about bullying and inspire children who bully to employ their power in life-affirming directions instead. So it's a little different than just your traditional anti-bullying uh, groups that go around and talk to schools in that they try to empower those who are around bullies, uh, those who are around targets, and they even try to empower the targets. Uh, in a way, their goal, is, their goal is to help targets of bullying and witnesses to use their words effectively to put an end to bullying. They talked a lot about the language you use in stopping bullying. And not just that, but they talk a lot about the power of your words to stop a bully from doing what they want to do. Uh, and in talking about the power of the tongue, one study that they talked about on their website revealed that if only one bystander, one bystander doesn't... they, they specifically say on their website too, and they said this in their presentation, that this bystander doesn't have to be someone popular or someone everybody looks up to that's, that has what people think is power. Just one bystander, just anybody, uses his or her assertive but nonviolent words in defense of a target that the incident of bullying can end 58% of the time within six to eight seconds. Isn't that amazing? The power of words. Now, a lot of times, bystanders don't speak up and say anything when someone is being bullied. Uh, but 58% of the time, it can stop within six to eight seconds if a bystander would just speak up with their words. We often think of the physical effects of bullying, but this particular man talked about his personal struggle with bullying, that he, when he was younger, was a bully, and he talked about that his bullying was through sarcasm. And he said that when he was with his friends or out and about, he said that he could ruin someone's day or put someone down in five words or less. He said, he said that. He said that any person he met, he felt like he could put them down, pretty much ruin their day in five words or less. Sarcasm. And he would do this often to receive attention or to get the girls who are around the person, he's humiliating to laugh at him. He thought that was fun. And so, you know, we often focus on the physical side of bullying, but bullying is very much a verbal thing as well. And we sat and listened as he talked about story after story of 
children, teenagers, adults, who have taken their lives because of the effects of bullying, because of words that people have said to each other. And at the end of this presentation, he gave people a chance in the audience. He gave people a chance, whether they've been a bully in any way, to go and apologize to someone that they have bullied. Now, it was, an ama- it was amazing to watch because we're in a room of you know, 1,500 teenagers and adults. And it was amazing to watch from our seat as students began to stand up and go and hug someone else and apologize for bullying. Uh, or as adults got up and apologized for bullying. And it was just incredible to watch. And it, it was very inspiring to me to watch these public apologies. We talk about asking for forgiveness. This was a very public asking of forgiveness from people who they have done wrong. And we sat there for probably 15 minutes while kids were going and apologizing for things that they've done or said to other students. And one particular man stood up, and, uh, an adult, and he stated that he bullied his brother growing up. He said, I was a bully to my brother. And he began to cry. And he said, and you know, my brother today is an atheist. And I think a lot of that has to do with my bullying caused him to lose faith in God. Powerful. Powerful for me to hear. Powerful for our students to hear. Then another man stood up from the balcony above us from where we were sitting. And he walked out to the edge in tears and he was hollering down to the, uh, to the stage, which is a pretty long way. So this was a pretty bold move for him to stand up and do this. And he said, you know, I bullied my youngest brother as well. And of course, he was in tears too. And he said, but you know, my brother has died. And he's not here for me to apologize to. And he said, sometimes it's too late. And then he sat back down. Powerful. Powerful. Then you had a couple more kids get up and go and apologize. And I just thought about our words. And how our words affect each other. How the things we say affect each other. Words are powerful. And our tongue can lift people up. It can encourage people. But it can also be a terror in people's lives. And it's time that we really start thinking about how the words we use affect people next to us. You know, as we sat there and listened, it was just unbelievable to think about these kids. And he talked about these kids who have taken their lives or wanted to. And usually, it was by some simple little snarky comment that somebody made that they thought wasn't that big of a deal. But their words cut to the heart. And their words were the thing that set them over the top, made them hate life. And tonight, I want you to think about how you use your words. I want you to look at some of the rest of this section of Scripture. I want to go back to verse 9 again at the end. It says, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
That's exactly what we've been talking about. People who use words to cut down people who are made in the image of God. Because every person is made in the image of God and deserves to be built up by your words, not torn down. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth water from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He talks about both blessings and cursings cannot come from the same mouth. Now, you know, maybe you praise God and, and, and worship God with your mouth. But if you hear, if you also on the other side are tearing people down with your words, is your blessing pure in heart? Is your blessing coming from the right place? I want us to be intentional with our words. Uh, to be known as Christians, as people, when they see us coming, they know that they're going to be built up and encouraged by our words, not torn down. I don't want anyone in this room to be someone that when you walk in a room, everyone tries to run and hide because they don't want to be torn down by your words. I want you to think about the words you use. And tonight, you might be realizing that you've been a Christian a long time, but you've been cursing people and blessing God from the same mouth. And, and that doesn't work. And you realize it's time that you give your life back to Christ and say, God, I'm going to praise you and I'm going to bless you, but also I'm going to praise you by the way I treat other people. I'm going to quit tearing people down with my words. Or maybe while you're listening, you realize I need to, you know, I need to make my life right with Christ. And the rest of my life, I want to be one with Him through, through baptism. And because of the power of baptism and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I want to live to be an encourager and a preacher of the gospel. Not a preacher like me or Joseph who stands up in front of everybody, but a preacher who preaches with their actions and their love for other people. I don't know what your need is tonight, but my hope is that you will make a change because I believe that every person in this room can always use their words just a little bit better. If you have a need tonight, I wish you'd come forward as we stand and sing.